excited today we have a very unique episode today we're going to learn a whole lot about new bedford and the basketball talent coming out of that area and uh, a lot about some great writing absolutely our guest was a three-year starting point guard at frampton state where he was third in the nation for division three and assists in 1981 and 82 and was named the defensive player of the year he spent 20 years officiating basketball and wrote some outstanding articles about some great basketball players and we consider him a basketball historian michael casacio how are you today sir I'm doing fine, fellas. How are you guys doing? We're doing real good, really good. Um, we always like to get to know our guests before we start talking basketball. You grew up in New Bedford, Massachusetts, is that correct? Uh, that is correct. Excellent. What was it like growing up there? Uh, it was great. It, w- it was great. I mean, um, obviously, we, it was kind of like a, um, I won't say a poor neighborhood, but we were rich in cult- culture, and um, I know it was, it was a great time. Looking back uh, now, um, it, it was a, a very opportunistic time, and we had we had a we had a ball. I enjoyed it tremendously. Nice. Um, what was your introduction to sports, and which ones did you play as a kid? Good question. Um, basically, I was introduced to sports was um, uh, my father, who passed away when I was seventeen. Um, he was a boxing fanatic. He was a um, historian, and he was uh, a trivia wizard just like I am now and uh, basically he taught me about boxing and I remember him sitting down with me on the table and he had a scrapbook and in that scrapbook were the 50 top rated heavyweights at that time and he would name them in different the back back order and I was from the back to the first you know what I mean as far as the ratings he would he, his memory was that good wow. that he would name backwards and he got me in, in interested in um trivia and uh he played basketball for a team out here that was a legendary called uh oh away which was uh our lady of assumption church and a lot of good players um got their beginning playing on that team in that organization and um that was my first view of uh basketball now when you were talking i gotta ask this boxing question because my grandfather was a a very good boxer who uh was in the Clemson Hall of Fame for boxing. Awesome. Was, yeah, was it was it the 50 of all time at that point, or was it just the 50 rated during that year? It was the 50 that he had in the scrapbook. Okay. So was Marciano his number one? 
Oh, he had all the, he had all, he was incredible. Matter of fact, to bring back something which is um, unique is, um, they call me the con man. There's a reason. My father's name is Billy, well, William Franklin Consatio, but a lot of people could not pronounce his name. And back when my father was growing up, uh, the heavyweight, uh, middleweight heavyweight champ, uh, middleweight champion, his name was Billy Kahn. I don't know if you guys remember that. But anyway, Billy Kahn, that was my father's name. They said my father's name was Billy Kahn. And then, of course, I'm his son, so they call me Michael Kahn. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. Um, so when did you start getting serious about basketball? Okay. Um, I, my introduction was I played for the team out here in New Bedford called the Verdian Vets. And we had a coach by the name of Dennis Silva. And uh, I happened to play my fir very first game. And uh, obviously I was terrible. And I remember uh, crying like a baby that night. And I said, that would be the last time I do that. And then that's when I started working on my game. Okay. And then like playground stuff like that? Yeah. Individually. Individually. Um, I was never blessed with uh, great living ability or great quickness. Uh, a lot of the, the most uh, skills that a lot of people have, you know, uh, inherent in them. I had to work for everything I got. So I figured I can't out jump you. I can't outrun you, but I sure can out thank you. And that's where I, you know, I, I learned the fundamentals at an early age and I, I, I perfected those and that got me um, pretty far, I would say. Yeah, and doing some research, it looks like you're a three-year starter and a two-time team captain at Bishop Stang High School. I mean, yes. like you clearly worked on your game. And I guess my question is, who are some of the guys that you were watching and really studied to maybe add to your craft to your game? Or what kind of things would you do to really improve? Okay. Uh, first of all, who's, who's the one that's the coach? Who's the coach? Yeah, I'm the coach here. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> basically, um, again – because I was I was kind of shot and stocky, so um, you know who I I really uh, patterned my game, Adrian Dantley. Nice, that's one of my favorite players of all time. That's who I studied as a kid too. I love his little underhand shots and his post moves at six foot five. That that's my hero. I'm glad you said that. And, and it was great because watching him, as you know, again he wasn't very fast. He wasn't very quick. Couldn't jump that high. Uh, but he was very effective because he knew the fundamentals and he knew how to use his body and game position. Um, and that's why I figured that's how I could improve my game by doing things like he did. Yeah, he lived at the free throw line, man. I mean, I, yes, I, I used to love watching AD for sure. Awesome. Uh, and, you know, from the article I read, A Day with Dr. J, which I know that Eric's going to ask about you later. I mean, it looks like a lot of great players pass through New Bedford for like camps and things like that. But my question to you is, what was the actual high school hoop scene like in New Bedford? I mean, did you, ha did you have some talent in the area, or were there any familiar names that you went up against? Uh, when we played at Bishop Stang, uh, we was in a different division, so I didn't get to play against uh, the so-called best in that area at the time. Uh, but there was a great rivalry, uh, which was uh, New Bedford High School versus Durfee. Uh, that was a tremendous rivalry. You can look that up. That was uh, outstanding. I mean, the house was packed. It was great talent. Uh, New Bedford, well, I can go back to New Bedford High recently years, but uh, during that time, uh, there was a player from New Bedford High. His name was Marcus Wills, uh, who had a tremendous high school career. Went on to Northeastern, which I'm going to talk about later on. Um, 
and then ended up playing for the University of Maine. Uh, but in high school, um, that year, that same year, um, there was a player um, from Jeffrey High School, who I'm sure you guys are familiar with. His name was Chris Aaron. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. Um, that, that brought the house down. That was uh, an exciting moment in, in that time. Uh, during my era, there's a lot of guys you probably won't really know that well. Um, but they did go on to play some, some big-time basketball also. Nice. And, uh, I mean, you went on to play at Fairbairn. I mean, you were third in the nation in assists. So, at any level, that's really impressive. But as a point guard and team captain, how much of that was just keeping teammates in check and keeping teammates motivated or happy? And how much of that was the coaching system that you guys had? Okay. Um, basically, that, that's, there's two answers to that question. Um, I was fortunate to, uh, to play with a guy by the name of, and I'm sure you guys probably looked it up, uh, Mark Van Bakkenberg. Uh, he led the nation in scoring. And had, therefore, you know, it was my, my job to get him the ball, number one, uh, and number two, to make everybody else happy. Uh, just to give you uh, how, how um, again, I was so such, such involved with the, the fundamentals and, and the knowledge of the game. My uh, coach at the time, his name was Bruce Grilly, and he had a play called The Gig, which was named after his son. And uh, <clears throat> being the point guard, this one play had over 100 variations of it. And you had to know exactly what variations there's so many angles and so many things you can do. Uh, uh, again, we, I knew that play. It's just like a quarterback. I knew the plays inside out, Every uh, which player had to be in what position, where they wanted the ball, how to receive the ball. And, uh, like, again, uh, I just – to this day, I remember that same play. It's over 40 years. I can tell you A, B to the Z, that same philosophy. And when I teach uh, basketball camps, I still do – that offense, that offense right now would be tremendous in the NBA. Absolutely. I might, I might have to steal that offense from you for the kids that I coach if it's, if it's that good. So I might have to have a conversation with you after this interview about that. And, Coach, what it does, what it, the, the key to that, that – I'm going to bore you to death with the details. The key is spreading the floor and letting your players do – have the room to, to uh, use their ability. And off the same gig, you could throw different passes, different variations, back door, front, front door, uh, pick and pop, pick and roll, uh, screening, a lot of the things that – and learning how to screen the right way, the proper way. That's, again, all goes down to the fundamentals. A lot of players today don't have, don't have the fundamentals. And that's – they, they kind of like uh, get disappointed when they don't move on and hit in life. And, and another thing, too, which I'll bring up a little bit later on, I was kind of blessed because – we did have one player in our area who was um, a, a big time at that time. His name was David Lato, who is now the head coach of uh, the University of DePaul, who happens to be one of my best friends in the world, by the way, which is, has given me access to a lot of things, which I'm about to talk about uh, later on. Excellent. Hey, I got a question for you. So you got into officiating. Um, yes. What was what was your introduction to officiating, and what was that transition like? Very good. I'm glad you brought that up. What happened was uh, another player um, who I grew up with, his name was Eric Brittle. He went to Rhode Island College, and his father was a referee um, back in the day. And when Eric graduated from college, he ended up doing construction work. And his father told him, um, man, maybe you should go do some referee and make some money on the side you know, and stay in shape. 
Eric started out doing that, um, progressed real uh, quickly, and ended up um, going to uh, college. He then went to various camps. He went to camps on his, out of his own pocket, by the way. Uh, Colorado, California, uh, New York. Um, anyway, what he would do is he would take me to these games in New York uh, when, when he was refereeing against Mark Jackson in, in the summer leagues. And, and matter of fact, we met a guy that's one of the people on um, not in my house. I saw Ronnie Nunn. Ronnie Nunn, who was at that time one of the head officials in the NBA, was also there at that time. And uh, Alex asked me if I wanted to get involved in basketball. And I'm as a referee, I was like, never really thought about it. Uh, but watching Eric and what he experienced, and uh, I just had, ended up getting involved and enjoying and loving the game. And when you referee, here's another thing you should tell your players. Um, they should always learn about, they should all take, I would suggest they all take a, a referee course because then they can learn how a referee sees the game. And it's totally different than a player watching the game because as a player, you usually watch the ball. As a referee, you watch the defense. So it gives you a different perspective, the things you look for. And then maybe that could um, probably enhance a player's ability if he knows exactly or has an idea what the referee's calling or what the referee is looking for. Was it a tough transition for you to go into refereeing? Because I know as a player, I would never want to be on the other side of it just because of all the abuse that you take from like crowds or players. I mean, did you experience that at all? At all? Cause you hear a lot of, of, of referees, you know, experiencing, you know, almost depression at times from being heckled and things that's like that. So, I mean, and when you want to become a referee, uh, that's something you're going to have to accept. Down here in New Bedford, we have um, a place where we, we, we all played and, and grew up on is uh, called the New Bedford Boys and Girls Club, where we had some outstanding talent. And um, as, as a beginning referee, I'm sure you guys can relate to this, but as a, a beginning referee, I remember, you know, as you progress, uh, they give you more more games and, and uh, more responsibilities. There was one particular game where uh, our partner of mine, his name was Raymond Hellman, we did the uh, championship game. This is for, uh, I would say, maybe seventh and eighth graders at the time. And uh, when, you walk in the, when you walk into the gym, half the court was, the, the parents were white, half the court, the parents were black. So any call you made, you know, you're going to get heat. And matter of fact, it was, there was one incident when we did the championship game and uh, uh, we got, there was a family and they came like six, seven deep and they had to close down the facility in order to do the, and this is at seventh and eighth graders. But as I continue to referee, you know, I think the key with refereeing is um, as you get, you give an honest effort. You learn as much as you possibly can. And being a former player, you can understand some things that maybe someone who just goes exactly by the book. As a player, you have inherent things that you do as a player and you can understand what the players are doing because you've been there and you've done that. So um, that I think that gave me an advantage. And, uh, you know, as long as you gave, you gave a good effort and uh, the key is gaining the proper position. So people may disagree with the call, but it's the proper position. And that really um, spoke highly of uh, my, my training from Eric Brittle. We went, I'll tell you one quick story. We were, in Purchase, New York, and we're refereeing. Uh, well, Eric went to go. He asked me to go referee a game. I was with him and his father, and in this, um, in the stands was Ronnie Nunn, 
And in the stands was a guy. I don't, he was the head of officials. And he was talking to uh, Eric's father, Peter, in the stands. And I'm sitting, the place is packed. And I'm, I'm there now. I'm not a referee. I'm not a big-time referee at, at all at that time. And I'm watching Eric. And uh, I'm thinking he's doing a fine job. The, the two, Ronnie Nunn and the other official that was there with us, went downstairs in the locker room, spoke with Eric. I don't know what they said. That was the game Mike Jackson was playing, by the, by the way. And um, I remember after the game, Eric said, Dad, can you drive from New York to New Bedford? Can you drive? Eric sat in the back seat, and he had his head down, and he cried like a baby. I've never seen anything like that in my life. He got, they would, and then going back to the second half, they were telling Eric's father about he should be two inches to the right, or he should be two inches to the left. No exaggeration, two inches to the left. And there's certain things, angles, God, it, it, I was like, incredible. And all the work that they, it takes, because after every game, you have to view videotape. And they, they, they break it down to you in each and every way. At the time, Bob Lanier was the head of uh, uh, referee uh, personnel at the time. And uh, he was very, very hard. Matter of fact, there was a, a, a film that Eric used to bring home. I want to have just on offensive fouls, blocks. The difference, difference, differentiate. And what he would do is the films would show the correct call to make an offensive charge or a defensive block. I want to have. And he would, they would show breakdown, just NBA offenses and NBA defenses and uh, that that really showed me a whole different world about refereeing and then Eric went on to become an NBA ref the thing about Eric was I don't know if you guys remember there was a strike in the NBA yeah and <clears throat> Eric was doing the um, CBA championships at the time and he did matter of fact he did the championship game but right during the lockout um, they had asked Eric to if he wanted to become a NBA referee, and <clears throat> Eric took took the step, and he ended up being an NBA referee. He refereed 17 games. Uh, then once the strike was, uh, the game was back on, uh, they basically demoted, and uh, Eric no longer had a, <clears throat> a position as a referee in the NBA because he crossed the line. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I've, I always had – a lot of respect for what officials have to go through. They have to deal with hot-headed coaches like me on the sidelines. So I, I really appreciate everything that you guys, you know, go through. And, I mean, you're totally right. It's all about the angles. And for me, is always the communication. You know, if, yes. a, if, a, if an official made a bad call and I'd be mad, but they communicated with me and told me why they made the call or admit or, you know, maybe showed some compassion, then I was a lot more – understanding and completely laid off of them because they showed me that respect because they know I want to win the game and I know that they want to do a good job. So that mutual respect for me was always a big thing too. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I also want to ask you ran the, I believe it's the money park basketball shootout for over 30 years. Um, uh, over 40. For over Basically. 40. Yeah. Yes. And you also played at it, if I'm not mistaken. What can you tell us about the program? And I mean, you must have some great stories from running that. Oh, I have, oh, oh, I have some, <laughs> I have some great stories. Uh, well, I, I played in the very first um, a basketball shootout, and I didn't necessarily run it. It was, uh, again, I was telling you about the, the referee, Eric Brillo, was his father, Peter Brillo. 
Uh, matter of fact, before Peter was a guy by the name of Manuel E. Carson Sr., who really is the one that I kind of st uh, stemmed and, and brought interest into to the New Bedford area. And there's a picture, I uh, might have been in the early 60s, of him with Bob Cousy at this Monty Playground. Um, so basically, Monty Playground has been known for a lot of uh, drugs and, and <clears throat> crime. And uh, I guess Peter wanted to keep the, you know, people kind of off the streets and doing something positive. And what Peter did back then was he ended up uh, having contacts to his refereeing uh, ability. And he ended up bringing some teams at the first of four, five, maybe six teams back then. And then each and every year, it just grew. We ended up having teams from, let's say, Connecticut, uh, Worcester, New York, uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, we even had a team come from Anguilla come down and play at the, the shootout. And we went to Anguilla and played in Anguilla, which was awesome. And that was all done by uh, uh, Peter Brito, you know, organizing and doing all that stuff. But, yeah, I played, I played the very first year. And then Peter wanted me to, to become part of their board. So I played, and then I refereed a few years. And then um, I kind of was asked to do something that I've, I've done ever since. Is, um, I would get on the mic. You never you see the, the, the play, playground stuff and people were talking, calling out names? That's what I, that's what I do. <laughs> nice. and, um, and it's a blast. Um, so I've been doing the, the, color, the commentating now for – I get I like you know, at least over forty years now. And each every year we do it during the Cape Verdean Independence Day parade, where we have a, um, tremendous parades, like over a hundred thousand people uh, attending the parade. And then we also do the basketball shootouts, which brings more people to the park. And we had uh, we have some uh, I would say phenomenal players that played in there. Um, I, I uh, I'll just give you a couple of names: Dwayne McLean, who played for Villanova. He was one of them. Um, Kyle Hobbs, who played at the University of Connecticut. Uh, Dwayne McClain. Yeah, Dwayne McClain. We also had um, uh, Wayne Turner, who played for Kentucky. We've had – there were so many ah, – I can go on. Um, we had the Twins who played for the Detroit Pistons. Uh, the, tournament, the tournament is really, really uh, special because it brings so many people together. And the tournament, everybody looks forward to it. And um, – the talent is outrageous, and I'm going to tell you, since we're talking about refereeing and how tough it is, during the afternoon, uh, because it's a celebration, uh, people would be drinking beers, you know, and I'm on the park, they'd be drinking beers. That's right. in the afternoon. Now, later on, the, they probably might start, you know, drinking a little bit of hot liquor. Now, you got the players and the fans directly around the court. So, let's say if you had Boston versus Washington, for example. You have the, uh, the fans from the Washington area on one side of the court feeling inebriated, and then you have the Boston side. So every call you make again, but now eventually it became a money tournament. So therefore, now you're playing for money. So therefore, the, the, the stakes are higher. Yeah. You, know, some, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so it, it was very interesting. We couldn't do it this past summer, but uh, it it's it's something that, that that brings a lot of people together, and it also um, uh, what I do is I give out a community recognition award um, for people that you know 
we feel that, you know, deserve it for what they do and what they've contributed to the community. I've been doing that now for 20-something years. So what I do is I give out these recognition awards and in front of the people who saw them growing up, in front of their own people is what I'm basically trying to say. And that gives, gives me great pride and joy to be able to do that. And, uh, and they're, they're overwhelmed, you know what I mean? Because they don't ask for the award, but they deserve it. And it's being given in front of everybody. And, and it's a pleasure for me to do. Yeah. And I mean, you're totally right on the Pro-Am. It's, it's a different game. Really, I mean, it really is. And I don't mean just from a talent standpoint, but like you said, how you're announcing, I mean, there's a lot of entertainment to it also. And because I played in a couple West Coast programs and it's completely different from an organized basketball game in a good way, too. It's Um, a good, you know, very fast pace, very fast pace. And uh, you know what's really interesting me is the fact that we, uh, we we've had a lot of great players. Who have you know big reputations, but you come down and play at that level, you're just another player. Yeah, you don't give. I mean, you got to earn everything you get. Matter of fact, even more so. And the talent is so. Again, a lot of pressures on the referees to to officiate those games, but it's very entertaining. It, it you know, I enjoy doing it, and uh, that helped me uh, be able to uh, be a color commentator for the UMass Diamond. Corsair's basketball team, and it also helped me um, do my video um, commentating also. Uh, and then I'll bring that up a little bit later on with Kobe Bryant's father. I'm sure you guys must be interested in that. Oh, yeah. A Ab- absolutely. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I got to ask a, another question about that, though. I mean, sure. throughout all the years, uh, whether you're playing, officiating, or, you know, just running the shootout, was there was there one guy that really stood out that just wowed you? If you had to pick one, you know, I wrote an article about that because I'm probably the only one that has been down there forty years and saw all the talent that has come in and go. And I'm sorry, there's so many names. I, I I'm I'm probably gonna have to say, and I'm sure people will probably disagree with me, but. I, from my own eyes, I would probably say Earl Kelly. Okay. The guy from UConn. I would probably say him. Uh, we've had a lot of Providence College players. We had a lot of BC players. UMass, um, uh, uh, he played very well, too. Um, Kyrie, Kyrie Irving's father, Diedrich, who played at BU. He played. I can go. I can. I can go on and on and on. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I know that's a loaded. I know that's a loaded question. So, <laughs> but uh, Earl Kelly stands out. Um, there's been a lot of great players, though. Absolutely, and, and you know, uh, uh, some of them have come down every year to play. You know, what I mean, for the for the atmosphere, uh, for the entertainment, and uh, it, it, it's a great thing uh, that Eric, uh, Eric and his father have started, and uh, I just. Uh, have helped them throughout the years, but it's been a great thing. Nice. You um, you have some articles that I think are really interesting. I got to read the one with Julius Irving, which I thought. Was oh. Cool. I uh, I went to a camp with uh, with Daryl Dawkins when I was a kid, and, and remember. That must have been interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was a trip. He was cool, man. He was. I, I mean, I was a little kid. I was probably seven or eight. Yeah. Was really cool to us. Um, so. 
what I wanted to kind of ask was, what was that experience like? Like, what did you feel in the moment? You know, I mean, you, you really kind of translated that in the in the article, but I just wanted to get your take on what you felt like, like playing basically against him and watching him. And I mean, what was it like? Okay, can I set up a little bit prior to that? Uh, sure. We lived in a uh, United Front Projects, and um, and prior to that, um, I lived on um, the three seventeen Pleasant Street, and there was. Uh, uh, as a matter of fact, the lady lived on third floor. She was very beautiful at the time that I remember. And all of a sudden, I I look. I'm on the porch, and I see um, I see Paul Silas, and I see Sarah Sanders. And that was my first, I guess, recognition of NBA ball players. And then soon after that, um, at the United Front, they what they did was the Celtics ended up. Um, building different boxes you know, around the areas, uh, and uh, one was United Front, and they had Nate Archibald come down, and uh, that was uh, a, a great thing to see uh, Nate Archibald, and, and got the experience to play against Nate Archibald, which was uh, unbelievable. That that right there was the, the basis of it, and um, to, to go uh, with the Dr. J situation was, um, I remember just reading you know, Sports Illustrated and things about the ABA, because ABA wasn't on TV back then. So, you know, it was more, it was like more fantasy, you know what I mean? And it was like, this guy was like, God, because you never really got to see him play. So when we heard that he was coming to uh, New Bedford High School, we was like, what? Are you serious? And uh, I remember I, I, I had to go to that and um, just experiencing uh, 5,000 people at New Bedford High School and to have the doctor come in, it was, you know, you, you was like, an, I was just like in awe. And uh, I, it was, I, I, I'm a 16-year-old kid and I don't even, I'm, I'm, I'm in heaven just being there. And then as I stated in the article, you know, the doctor, um, it was introduced and then, then he basically, uh, which the crowd at the time, to be honest with you, kind of booed because what he did was he, which is such, as I was saying at the beginning, uh, everyone just expected him to come and do dunks and dunks and dunks. And no, the doctor, the first maybe half hour or so, it was all fundamentals. It was all fundamentals. All the stuff, the basic, all the, he said, you think I just was able to do this? He said, I'm not afraid. He said, the fundamentals, these are the things, you know, and may I may look a look, may make it look easy, but I've obviously put the time and effort into making these things work. And it was all fundamentals. And I remember people in the stands were like all angst. They were like, and then what happened was Dr. Dove, he just said, uh, all right, who here in the building is the highest leaper? And there was only one person at the time, and his name was Gus Hodge. And he called Gus down and he said, Gus, how you doing? And what happened was he said, Gus, uh, do me a favor, touch the net. Gus what goes up and touches the net, no problem. He said, Gus, touch the backboard. Gus goes and touches the backboard, no problem. He says, Gus, touch the rim. So now Gus touches the rim. Now he's all excited. There's 5,000 people. He's like, just saying nothing. What's he talking <laughs> Doctor says, do me a favor. Touch the net without bending your knees. 
Think about that, guys, for a minute. Touch the net without bending your knees. Then he goes, touch the backboard without bending your knees. Then he goes, touch the rim without bending your knees. Obviously, Gus couldn't do neither one of them. Gus was about 6'6 six, six at, at the time, and Gus couldn't do anything. And at that specific moment, and if you look at the 1976 All-Star game, Dr. Doves just stunk it. I'm going to tell you about right now. He goes up underneath the basket. He has two balls in his hand, and he goes up, dunks one, boom, dunks the other one, boom. Crowd went berserk. And then uh, he then said, uh, who – who out of the top? Who's the top five, six players in the audience? And uh, people was like shrugging me. I was, I was shy. I was a sixteen-year-old kid. I, I didn't, I didn't want to go there against him. And uh, they're shrugging me. And so I go out there with, uh, by the way, Dave Lado, who we spoke about, the head uh, basketball coach at DePaul, Tony DePino, Carlos uh, DePino, his brother, a guy by the name of Darren Watkins, and. I'm, I'm forgetting maybe one or two guys if I remember right. But anyway, so what happened is we all go to half court and doctor shakes our hands and I'm nervous. So I'm not, I remember I have a blue pants and a purple shirt on and I'm I'm shaking. And I remember as a 16-year-old kid, I had chains in my top pocket. And he shakes my hand. He says, well, just, just get relaxed. Everybody just get relaxed. So I'm I'm nervous and all my chains fall on the floor. People are laughing. It was like, I said, what's going on here? So anyway, um, the doctor, um, the, 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 someone went first. I, I think it was Dave. Someone went first, and Dave uh, took a shot. Doctor got the rebound, hit a jump shot, gone. The games were the two. Got the ball again, jump shot, gone. The second player goes up, and basically the same thing happened. Doctor, doctor hits a shot, then he hits two. You're out. Now it's my turn. So I go up. I'm nervous. I'm up. I'm, I'm right in this, right, as close as I can get to him. And I remember – he takes a jump shot from the top of the key, well, top of the key area. I remember boxing him out. I go get the rebound. I go to the corner. I get the ball. And at that time, like I said, I, I had to, you know, I could use both hands pretty well. So I remember going between my legs, spinning, and did a left-hand hook. And it, it didn't go in, obviously. But anyway, he gets the rebound, and you had to clear it. He brought the ball to the foul line. Again, he takes a jump shot. It hits the back of the rim. I'm there. I see the ball coming in my hands. I, I, I see it. I process it. He just snatches it with them big old hands of his and completely does a 360. The crowd goes nuts. And then some after that, somebody else took a jump shot from the corner. He catches it from a vertical elbow over the rim, catches it with one hand, and the place was going crazy. And then after that, there was like six or seven of us. After that, what happened was he told everybody to come down. He told everybody to come down. Everybody to come down from the stands, get in a nice circle, get in a big circle. And he went one hand, two hands, backwards, off the board. He did it. He put on a phenomenal, phenomenal. It was, it was, it was a blessing to, just to be able to get the opportunity to, to play against him. And it was uh, an exciting thing for a 16-year-old kid. And uh, I treasure those moments. And it, it, it's something that I'll never forget. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible. And it's also completely different when you're seeing it in person compared to on TV, too. You know, like, that's, what I, that's the first thing I notice when I see professional athletes up close. I'm like, wow, they're, they jump much higher. They're much faster in person. But um, 
How was that handshake, though? I mean, you mentioned his big hands. I mean, that must have been probably one of the craziest handshakes you've ever had <laughs> with those big old hands. They always said Connie Hawkins had the biggest hands, but I, I beg to differ. I mean, yeah. my hand was engulfed in his hand. It, 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 was, it was phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. getting, back to, getting back to the Nate Atterwald thing, we, um, I'm sure you guys probably read it on it. It's called the BBA. It's the Burgo Basketball Association, which I'm affiliated with also as a, a referee and all that. So we would do uh, Christmas tournaments. And uh, I was doing the, on the mic again, like I normally do. But this was for an indoor, um, legit um, PC correct <laughs> game, <laughs> tournament, yeah. if, you know what I'm <laughs> if you know what I'm trying to talk about. So anyway, so um, uh, we're doing the games. And um, what I used to do at halftime is I, I'm the trivia guy. So I would always give out trivia questions. For the crowd. So Steve Bregel comes, he says, Um, you know, you know who's coming today? I'm like, who? He said, Dan Atterball. I said, Who? He said, Dan Atterball. Come on, Steve, you're kidding me. He said, Yeah, he's coming down with a team from New York and Lincoln. I'm like, Are you serious? Anyway, I'm like, I'm not really believing them. So I'm doing my thing and I happen to go over the stats in my head about Nay Atterball. Uh, being the only player to lead the league in assists and scoring the same year, although that's not true. There was one other person, but I won't go into that. But anyway, so I'm giving out all the stats. I'm giving out his numbers. I'm giving out his information, this, that, that. And sure enough, as I turn my head, I see a team from New York. They got red sweatsuits on. They come in the building, and guess who I see? I'm like, are you kidding me? So I get up off the, 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 the scores table. I get up and I walk up to him. I said, Mr. Atterbaugh, how you doing? I said, I know you don't remember me. I said, but you came down to the United Front and you did a clinic and it was one of the best things I've ever seen. And he turned to me and he said, you know something? That was over 40 years ago. But he remembered, he didn't remember me, but he remembered being there. Yeah. And he still looked in great shape. And unfortunately he had a heart attack. You guys probably are aware. He had a heart attack. He's okay now, but yeah, he had a heart attack. So that was something really special to me also. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm a big Celtic fan, and I always loved Tiny Archibald. My dad always made me watch, you know, videos of him. Uh, my dad made me watch all the greats, so I, yeah. I, I love Tiny. But, um, yes. you know, one thing I thought was interesting, I saw your top 100 South Coast basketball players of all time list, and there's a few familiar names for me, you know, like Dwayne Pina, Peter Tro, uh, Marlon Burns. I mean, there's a lot, but – uh. What I love about that list is that you didn't actually rank them in order. I saw this by p position and alphabetically, and it still stirred some controversy. So, I mean, what was the reason for not ranking them? And if you had to pick, is there a number one on that list? Uh, yes, there, there is. Uh, but to answer your question, when I, when I wrote the article, I, at, that, at, at that moment, um, I just wanted to, to, to give recognition to the players who have played over the years. Again, I, I've had a long list – I I I basically probably seen three generations of, of players and 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 to, to come from not just as a coach or a player but as a referee and also cut uh, color commentating their games. I think I I have a a, a different perception of, of of players from different because of my different angles, and um, I just want basically to give recognition and, and going back so many years. You know, it's kind of hard. Just like right now, it's kind of hard when you, when, you, when you put as who's that best NBA ball player because different eras, different 
different yeah. different you know there's a whole lot of things going into it and a lot of the players back in the day when I first was observing them didn't have all the uh, accessible things that the players now have so I mean you got to take that into consideration you know the game has evolved the game has changed so you, you I, I like to look that at from that that perception so I went and, and just basically started from my childhood who I observed playing. And then as, you know, as I grew in the plays that were coming forth and um, I think I gave, I came up with a pretty good list, controversial as always. Uh, but I think I came up as an honest list. I can, no one can say I didn't see these players. And a lot right. of the things that I did was because I saw them. Some I didn't see. So I, you can't really rate someone you really didn't see in person. Yeah. No, and I mean, I, I loved it. And uh, I mean, but if there's one player, I, mean, I, I, I love that you brought up the eras because you can't compare eras, but with your own eyes, is there one that stands out or do you want to leave that one at rest? <laughs> uh, how about if I give you one that potentially could have been the best of all time? Uh, I'm good or, with that. Okay. There's an individual you guys can look him up to. His name is Steven Gomes. Uh, they call him Johan. Johan was playing with men in tournaments when he was like 14 and 15 and getting MVPs. Uh, his whole family is, is very famous in the Bedford area. Uh, there's um, Edmund. Uh, there's his brother, Tommy Gomes. Now, I'll, I'll give you just a little bit on the Gomes family. Uh, they are probably the most well-known basketball family ever to come out. By none. I don't think you can ask two people that would beg to differ with that. Guaranteed. There's like six of them and two girls. Uh, all phenomenal players. Uh, but to give you a, a little bit about Stephen Steven Gomes, six, uh, he's about six foot three forward, played at Holy Family High School. Uh, he was uh, a phenomenal player. They, for Holy Family, won the state championship and he won it as a freshman as a freshman. Uh, he also had the distinction of uh, having uh, played against Adrian Dantley at the Red Outbacks camp and got MVP. Stevie Gomes, again, six foot three, could jump out the gym, soft touch, right hand, left hand, basic fundamentals. Uh, he was my coach when I was growing up, so he taught me all the fundamentals. And uh, uh, if I think if you ask me the best that I've seen Stevie Gomes. What happened was they had a, 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 a tournament called the Family Affair, and they had the Gomes family against a semi-pro basketball team. It was called Continental, Continental Tavern. And I'm sitting at half behind the, the, the Spurs table, and you see all the Gomes brothers, all of them, all phenomenal, all of them. And then maybe like mid, I'd say midway through the game, I'll never forget this as long as I live, Steve gets a ball on the left side, going down on a fast break. And at that time, the bleachers were on this side, so you really couldn't see too much on the other side. So Steve goes for a basket, and he goes, and what he does is he dumps, come from a complete stop. And when he does that, his knee goes out. His knee almost like fractures. And his cousin, who happened to be playing against him, his name was Keith Francis, was there, and everyone thought that Keith Francis was responsible for their injury, and he wasn't. So Steve's career 
kind of ended abruptly. Um, not to the extent of Ronnie Fields, but something similar to that effect. And I think he could have that effect on the game. As a freshman at Roosevelt Virginia High School, he had an offer to go to Marquette. Now, this is going way back. That's how good he really was. And I think if you ask anybody in the Bedford as the number one player, I would probably say hands down, they were more than likely they would say it was him. Now, if you ask the older generation, they'll say his brother Tommy. His brother Tommy was a phenomenal player also. And he had offers to go to Duke back in the day, and they played a vocational tech uh, gym, and he was going to the basket. And the way they had it at that gym, they had um, the stands came out. The thing came out, and he went to jump, and his knee hit the stand. And, again, another one. His knee went, gone. He had another great player named Edmund Gomes, who um, went on to play at Liberty College. He now is a reverend. Uh, but uh, if you really want me to tell what I truly believe, Stevie Gomes was, if you look at all around and what he could do, and was he NBA type, it would be Stevie Gomes. And he had similar game to Adrian Dantley, but to jump a lot higher. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, thanks for sharing that. And then, you know, the other list that I wanted to ask you about, you did a top officials and top coaching list. Uh, David Lado's a familiar name, like we mentioned before, and I feel everyone does a player's list, but not many do a coach's and especially an official's list, which shows me how much you truly love the game. Yes. What coaches or officials do you feel had the biggest impact in your area, maybe from what you've seen or heard? I mean, who had the biggest impact, do you think, in the area? And and also, why the hell aren't you on that top officials list? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) that's a good question Um, I would guess well I wouldn't guess I I know um, the biggest impact I would say in in New Bedford High or New Bedford history would be um, Eddie Rodericks Eddie Rodericks they won two back state back to back titles he refereed a long man back to New Bedford High School court is named after him Uh, I think that he would have to be considered the uh, most outstanding coach in the area, along with Skip Cameron from Durfee High School also. Uh, Skip Cameron's a very famous uh, coach. He's coached for a lot of you. Matter of fact, he coached um, Chris Heron as well as Mike Heron. Um, and and um, the brothers were awesome. Uh, Mike was a two-time state player of the year, and Chris, we all know Chris Heron. Uh, but uh, those two stand out as um, probably uh, the most um, – greatest coaches uh, out in the Bedford history. So let's talk because you were, uh, you were alluding to this earlier. Uh, you want to talk a little about, uh, about uh, Kobe Bryant's dad, Jellybean? Sure. Uh, that, that's, that's another good one. All right, here we go. All right. Um, as I told you, I was the uh, color commentator for the uh, UMass Diamond Corsairs. And they had um, – I did that for like six years. Uh, they had a great player on their team named Marcus Hartman. And uh, <clears throat> I distinctly remember um, – because I used to have a little piece called Collins Corner, which would be – I would give my prediction and whatever uh, about the game. And I remember that game going to uh, a couple seconds left in the game on a timeout. And I said, that ball is definitely going to Marcus Hartman. He's going to hit a jump shot top of the key. Sure enough. 
top of the key, bang, hits the shot, they win. Shortly thereafter, a guy by the name of Dan Savage, who played for the UMass Diamond previous years, um, he came off the bench, but he played. Anyway, he, he moved to Vegas, and I hadn't heard from him in years. But then I hear he's bringing a professional basketball team to New Bedford. And I'm saying, oh, what, what, what's going on? And sure enough, he brought a team um, called, the team was called Boston Frenzy. And uh, he brought, uh, matter of fact, uh, this guy I'm referring to, Marcus Hellman, and another guy I'm referring to, Marcus Wills, he signed them uh, to the contract to play for the Boston Frenzy. And uh, they had their first practice at the Boys and Girls Club. And I was asked to referee the practice. Me and a guy by the name of George Mendes were asked to do the game, who do the practice, a scrimmage, whatever you want to call it. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, I turn my head. It's Joe Bryant. He's the coach of the Boston Frenzy. And Again, I'm in R again. I remember him. He played for Philadelphia 76ers and all that. And uh, he's ended up being the coach of the Boston Frenzy. We we um we scrimmage. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you look at it, if you look up uh, Dan Savage, he has a piece about the actual scrimmage. And uh, uh, George and myself, you can see us refereeing in that one. Uh, but yeah, Kobe uh, Bryant's father, real nice gentleman, uh, great person. And this is a story. This is really gonna shock you guys. Um, you you guys know about the M one? Oh yeah, M one. Oh yeah. Okay, yeah, that, well, that's that's a big deal back in the early two thousands for sure. Exactly. So now, what happens is Dan. I guess he had a lot of contacts. He says, "Well, I'm gonna go get some of those players from the M one team, bring them down to play at, with the frenzy." He ended up bringing him in the helicopter and bringing Spider. So again, uh, they came down to play. Also, there was another seven foot six. Guy, I can't remember his name. Moses Malone's son also was on that team. Uh, a guy by the name of Troy Brown, who played at Providence, was on that team. Uh, Shannon Crooks from Boston was on that team. I can go on and on. Um, they had a very good Marcus Wills, Marcus Hellman. Uh, they had a, a very good team. But then they added the, the N1 players, and that was kind of the N1 was more pop, pop ball. And they had players who played basketball, so they really didn't gel that well. And during the course of the year, uh, they started losing some games and losing some players to injuries. And we go there one night. They're hurting for, for players. I have a clear blue sky. Joe Bryant suits up and plays. Wow. Now, he's over 50 years old. You guys can look this up. He's over 50 years old, and he gets 50 points in the game. I kid you not. Now, this is against pretty good competition. This is, this is a pro-am. They played – it's not pro-am. It's pro. It's a pro league. And um, there was teams from uh, – they played in uh, Baltimore. They played uh, all over the East Coast. They played they, – they it was a good schedule. But, yeah, he came out at the age of 50 and got 50 points. Wow. And, Do you remember what year that was by chance? Oh, you got to put back my memory. I got to think. I can always send you guys that information. Um, it's 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 widely known. I got to say, 
Mm, I, I don't have the exact year. I don't want to give you guys the wrong year. But Kobe, I can always Kobe playing in the NBA at that point or no? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. gonna say okay. I'm gonna say maybe between eight and ten years ago. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that must have been a fun conversation between him and his kid about that, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I don't want to get into detail, but they weren't talking at the time. Oh. They were not, they were not uh, talking at the time. Gotcha. That, that was a great experience too, and and, and again, it, it's. Again, I don't know. Maybe I'm just very fortunate to have uh, you know the friends that I have, like Eric, um, being an NBA referee, although not for long, but be, being able to have access to a lot of things through him, and of course, uh, you know, my best friend Dave Lado, who's the head coach of DePaul. He started off in Northeastern with that one, and uh, just a little quick story about about that one was uh, we. He would call me on a regular basis. He said, "Man, we got this kid. Man, he's pretty good." And I looked at him. I said, "Are you? Happy? He's not going to be a good player." I said, "He's thin. He don't look that good." I'm like, "Come on, man, Dave. What you talking about?" Ended up being Reggie Lewis, Dave recruited. Wow. wow. Had, oh yeah, Dave was. Uh, he um, recruited a lot of players. So then now we go to Connecticut, and uh, <clears throat> there's an all-star game between uh, Ben Baker's team and Ray Allen's team. It's a summer league game. We go to there. Again, this is because I have access because through Dave. So Dave, again, he goes, he says, there's someone in the crowd. He says, uh, that, those, are our, those are our recruits. There's two of them. They're, those are our new recruits. And then he turns to me. I'm like, what? He says, yeah, they just got done playing the uh, McDonald's All-Star game. I'm like, really? End up being Rip Hamilton. I'm like, oh, man. I'll go, I'm, I'm a poor judge of talent. But, uh, <laughs> But we ended up going afterwards. We ended up uh, hanging with, with Ray Allen. But being with Dave, like I said, uh, it's, 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 it's been a blessing. I've been able to uh, keep in contact with him, you know, and uh, it, I'm, I'm, I'm just blessed to be able to have the experiences that I have. And I like to share my knowledge, and that's why I wrote, I wrote the articles, just to give recognition to others. And, you know, of course, there's going to be some, some feedback, uh, positive and negative um, but overall, you know, it's something that I would do all over again. Yeah. And I mean, you, you just mentioned, uh, coach Lado again. I mean, you've, I'm sure you've spoken with him recently, but you gotta be excited that college basketball is back. And I mean, do you have any idea with what kind of restrictions they have in practice? I mean, it must be a pretty wild year to be a coach. Uh, well, just to give you a little, uh, thing about what happened like last week, um, there was another, uh, podcast. I don't know if you guys are familiar with what it's called. Um, Chop Shop HTX. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. Uh, Dave was on that show, matter of fact. And uh, it was great because he was talking about recruiting and he was talking about different various parts of the game. And it was right. He was talking about the stresses going along with the, with the pandemic and stuff. And that he's, we, it was a Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening. That's when he put out a press card for saying that their first three games were paused. Uh, DePaul didn't play the first three games because of the pandemic. And, uh, <clears throat> uh, but he, you know, listening to him and, and how excited he is about the game. And again, it gave me another different perspective from a, from an actual coaching perspective. Uh, you know, I already knew about the playing and, and the, the officiating, 
but the actual coaching and what goes into coaching and talking about what it takes to be a coach as far as, you know, you got to be basically a, you got to be a philosopher. You got to be a psychologist. You got to be like a, a stepmom, stepdad. You got to recruit the kids. You got to deal with the parents. I mean, it, it's again, a, a different perspective. Uh, and I, again, I've been, I've been very fortunate uh, being with Dave and, you know, going to the, uh, when they won the NCAA championships, um, and Dave and I are pretty close. As a matter of fact, I spoke to him last week. Um, we don't know. But I usually go to every game that come when they come to Providence College or Boston College, but don't look like there's going to be any fans, so that's kind of depressing. But as far as the games, uh, I'm so happy. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a basketball fanatic. I think high school basketball is, is awesome right now. There's some tremendous ball players. A uh, guy by the name of Hogram, I think his name is. He's phenomenal. Um, so, yeah, and the, the NCAA – it's it, it's great. It's kind of sad because there's no no fans in the stands, but um, just having basketball back is, is is a great thing for me. You know, I'm I'm enjoying it. Like I'm retired. I did 30 years uh, working in the prison, so you know, I mean, this is life. This is great for me. Absolutely. You know, it's uh, you know we always say, and a lot of other people say, is be be good to the game, and the game will be good to you. And that's obvious with everything that you've talked to us about today. I mean, it's. You've had some phenomenal stories and opportunities. I love that you still remember what you were wearing when Dr. J came to that. Never that, forget that. It, it's I'll, amazing. I'll, you know. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. I, that I'll never forget that. And one, one, one other quick story that is, is, is really dear to me. When I was at Framingham State, there was a college um, outside of outskirts of Natick. And... Um, I remember one of uh, our teammates who was from Framingham and knew the area. We went to the Celtics. They at that time they used to practice at Helena College, and <clears throat> I remember that asked me to give me a ride. I said uh, sure. So we went to this Helena College, and I remember walking into the gym, and on the far side in the corner, I see Larry Bird. This is his very first time he came from. Indiana, Indiana State. He came in, and I'm just watching him, and I'm, I'm again, I'm, I'm speechless. I'm like, I just saw him on NCAA, and then I see him like that, and I got to see him, and because like only besides the players, about only three of us that were there watching that, and that was something that I'll never forget. And also another thing I'll never forget that that was my freshman. My the year after that, I get invited to go to the Red Outbacks camp, which was uh, in Marshfield, and it was an outdoor camp and it was, um, <clears throat> it was uh, outdoors and we were it was uh, cabins, log cabins We all the councils we had, uh, we were there in the log cabins and this is something that might be unique to your listeners um, uh, during the camp <clears throat> you know the councils would play at night and uh, in the morning we had to take care of the kids and we go, they, they would give out breakfast and stuff so we would sit with our group and then I remember turning in the back and I turn around, I see Larry Bird. He's in the back. He's in the last row, the back row. And with something that really caught my eye, maybe I'm not, the, maybe I'm just a fanatical, but I, I remember him sitting there and he's eating with his left hand. Larry Bird is left-handed. I bet you people don't really know that. He's left-handed. He <laughs> signs autographs, which he didn't do by the week, which I'll bring up. But he's left-handed. If you, I'm seeing him seeing they're eating cereal with his left hand. And during the week, Mikhail was uh, 
one of the guys who gave the clinic, which was phenomenal, he gave a phenomenal clinic. And uh, I remember uh, a lot of the kids running up to Bird trying to ask for autographs, and he wouldn't give any. <clears throat> so that, that kind of put a damper on, on, on that. Um, but there's one, one other quick story about that camp thing. We were playing <clears throat> at the camp. It was the last day of the camp. Now, the first day we played, I was I was terrible. I was overwhelmed. I saw guys seven foot, seven one, six ten, all division one schools, and I was like, oh man, I'm out of my league. <clears throat> and I uh, we remember I, I was I, I almost like didn't want to play anymore. And I remember the, the the day or the day after that we go we play, and uh, right our backs there at half court. He's watching the game, and we're playing. And I remember getting the ball on the, on the top of the circle. I remember I make a right move, go to, to my right, and I had a jump shot off the board to win the game. And then I remember walking up and right out back, grabbing me, not grabbing, but calling me over. And he said, you know something? He said, yeah, you're pretty good. But uh, you know what you need to do? He said, you need to lose some weight. And he said, you need to look like that guy. And he pointed to the end of the basket. And that guy, you guys might not know who this was, but his name was Al McLean. Al McLean went to the University of New Hampshire, phenomenal basketball player. And that that end of the week, they picked the top eight players to play against the Celtics rookies. That year, Dudley Bradley was the rookie for the Celtics, if I'm correct. Anyway, um, Al McLean went and... Um, had a phenomenal game against the, those rookies. Um, I think he got drafted by the Chicago Bulls, and he never made it. But we also played three-on-three three against a guy by the name of Michael Brown, who we destroyed, but he ended up having a, over a 10-year career. He played with the Bulls. He played with the Utah Jazz. He's got a couple of rings, and he's doing fantastic things now. But that camp was special. That camp was very special. That's and I'm going to take one. I got one more. We yeah, were all we're all sitting at the park uh, at the uh, course. And when our back comes up and he gives a speech to all of us and he starts talking. And of course, everybody's listening because, you know, when he speaks, you, you got you to gotta pay attention to that. So we're all sitting there, you know, in, in awe. And he had, he had one ring, one ring on. <clears throat> and, you know, me being me, I asked, what ring was that that you're wearing? What do you guys think he said? The last one. <laughs> you say the last one. Yeah. It was the very first one. Interesting. Wow. And the rings at that time were so small that you don't even, nothing like the rings they have nowadays. They were really so small, and that captivated my, my attention. I was like, wow, that was great. That was great. Awesome. Oh yeah, awesome. he was—he was a brilliant man. I mean, listening to that guy talk, he's very, very smart. Knows knew a lot about psychology, not just the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Very smart individual. Hey, we're gonna do a real quick lightning round with you. Zach's gonna ask the questions. It's basically just a one or two word answer on the questions Zach's gonna ask. Uh, Zach, you ready? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my first question is, you've watched a lot of basketball growing up. Did you prefer the ABA or the NBA? ABA. Okay. Uh, if you had to pick one player, who is your favorite to watch of all time? David Thompson. Nice. If you had to pick one piece of writing, which are you most proud of? 
Little, I'll say little, Dr. J's story. Dr. J's story? I thought, I thought you might pick that one. Yeah. Um, what is the higher pressure situation with five seconds on the clock? A potential game-winning shot or making a game-changing call as an official? Making a game-changing call as an official, without doubt, without a doubt. Okay. Uh, if you had to pick one guy, player, coach, or official, who do you think had the biggest impact on the New Bedford area? Yeah, lightning round's not easy. <laughs> I can tell you right now, I can tell you someone who's gone the farthest of anyone from New Bedford, Bonzi Colson. Okay. Uh, he, okay. Uh, he played with Milwaukee Bucks last year. Um, he, he went and now he's playing in France. But he got to play in that playoff round with the Milwaukee Bucks. Nice. Okay. And uh, my, my last one, if you had to pick one basketball memory, if you had to pick just one, what's your favorite? Okay. This may, this may shock you guys. <clears throat> but my idol uh, was Isaiah Thomas. And uh, I, I followed his career, you know, ever since he was at Indiana. And I always wanted to meet him. And um, I had a couple of opportunities, but never really got to meet him until they had a pro-am in um, a summer league in, at UMass Boston. And I remember, because you know me, I know every, I know faces. So I see some little shot guy with a hat on in the back of the stands trying to be not recognized. He was coaching the Indiana Pacers at the time. And um, I remember – Watching them walk down, and then they had a, 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 a big table with some of the, the coaches would, would, would sit at. And I remember they had all broke off. And I'm like, That's not, I gotta go meet this guy, man. I gotta go, I'm trying to meet this guy. So there was a secure uh, cop outside the ropes, and I said, Well, look, I, I'm security. I work, I work in the prison, I'm security. Can you let me in? And the guy opened up the, the rope. I go and I sit down. He lets me sit down. I sit down, I start talking to him, got to shake his hand. A friend of mine took a picture. Honestly, I blew it up. Like you want, I wish I had it here. I had it in my in the prison in my office. I had a big picture like this. And imagine that in the prison office. I got a picture of me and Isaiah. That was kind of crazy. Um, but that, yeah, to, to be honest with you, that was probably the biggest. Uh, besides, obviously, the Dr. J thing. But uh, meeting my idol, my child idol, uh, David uh, Isaiah Thomas. That's awesome. What a great story. Hey, I wanted to say. Uh, Thank you so much for giving you giving so much time to us today. I mean, you were super gracious with your time and a lot of awesome stories. Um, is there anything you want to add or promote before we get you out of here? Uh, well, um, I would like to add, um, I don't know if I spoke enough about Chris Heron. Um, I would love to talk about Chris Heron. You know, um, his career was uh, – leaping by leaping bounds and he had such a tremendous upside to his career and obviously you know things went downhill for him but he's doing such great things now with his heron project and uh trying to help individuals who have uh abuse problems substance abuse problems and he's he's uh he's an inspiration to, to a lot of the people around here uh and he's doing great things and even though he's not from new bedford he's close by far river 15 minutes away. I think that's good. Right. And also right now, there's another individual who I have to name. I have to name is Marcus Houtman. Right now, what he's doing is he's promoting. See, New Bedford, we are called what they call Cape Verdeans. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. That's, uh, but that's what we are with Cape Verdeans. 
So now what they do now is because people like Marcus Hellman, who played overseas in the Cape Islands for over 10 years and has brought some of the players from New Bedford to go play in Cabo Verde, um, what he's doing now is uh, they have what they call Af Africa Ball. And it's um, it's a, a, a tournament with all the, the, the countries from that area. And it's big time over there. And what Marcus is doing is he's bringing that to us. If you guys want to look it up, it's unbelievable. Uh, they play on TV. Um, and that's something that I would like to promote. Um, again, it's called Africa Basketball. And the guy by name, his name is Marcus Hellman, M-A-R-Q-U-E-S, Hellman, H-O-U-T-M-A-N. You can read a little bit of his bio and what he's trying to do. And he's doing some phenomenal things, uh, giving back. He, he went over there for 10 years. And now I think he's going to probably end up um, being the coach over there. And he's doing some great things. Awesome. Hey, Zach, do you want to uh, add anything before we let Michael get out of here? Uh, just a big thank you for coming on and sharing some of your basketball stories. Uh, I mean, I, I loved your writing. I mean, it, like that Dr. J article, it made me feel like I was there with you. Totally. So, oh, uh, thank you. Thank yeah, you. Love the writing. Love the stories you shared. And we'd love to have you back on again at some point, maybe. In the, Absolutely. The more excited. I know you have endless stories. So. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to tell you about the Marvin Bonds one. Oh, I can tell you that one, too. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, absolutely. Hey, I forgot to tell you about the Pat Ewing, Marvin Bonds. I got to tell you about those stories. Oh, we're <laughs> going to have – hey, Patrick Ewing is like my idol growing up. I wore 33 when I played ball because of him. I grew up back east too. And uh, I would love to hear the Patrick Ewing stories next time we have Oh, you. anytime you want, gentlemen, it's a good one. Yeah, it's a good one. We're going to do that for sure. I would love to hear those. Hey, stay safe, um, be good, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, all right, my friend? You guys, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for inviting me. I'm, I had a blast. I can't wait to talk to you guys again. We appreciate Absolutely. that. Have a great week, my friend. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Wow. That was a fun one, man. Yeah, he's got a lot of energy, man. And he just seems like that perfect PA guy, too, at the Pro-Ams. Like, I could just oh, see him exciting the crowd. But, like, he just clearly has a love for basketball. And you can just tell in his writing. You can tell in his stories. You can – tell when anything he does and I mean he's a blast man we got to have him back well we're and I'm gonna I want to promote the crap out of him too because I love the human element of it where you know it, it's it's like you know having the Shea Cottons and the other guys on where they don't make it to the actual league league but the stories they tell are to me so much more interesting than if yeah. we had a huge guy on I hate to say it I mean they this he told so many stories today that made me feel like I actually like grew up there. Right. I know. He's a good, like a storyteller like that. Like I actually feel like I spent some time in New Bedford. But right. like <laughs> you you actually feel like the passion that that area has for its basketball and the appreciation it has for its players. You know, the guys like, you know, Tiny Archibald or Dr. J that came through the area, you can tell how much that meant to that area. Huge. And I mean Michael just does such a great job of explaining that not just in what he told us, but also his writing. So, I mean, you guys need to go check out his writing too, for sure. I, I think the other thing that was very cool, and for our younger listeners, I think it's super important to listen to this pod, um, is that he talked about learning about how the refs look at the game. Yeah. I thought that was really important because we don't – and it's funny too. I mean, do you ever do – you ever play that psychological game? 
you know, I always did that when I played ball where um, if I was playing football and then like the, you know, the guy was holding me, I played defensive end, you know, I would always kind of walk up to ref. I'm like, Hey ref, I'm like, do me a favor, watch 67 for me. He's holding, you know what I mean? You know, just that little, like, you know, where you learn not to yell at them and say, come on, man. You know, you just learn how to just be like, Hey, he keeps holding me. You want to check this out? That, that type of psychological thing, you know, without getting, you know, into their head, but listening to Michael talk about being a ref, it was neat to hear that two inches to the left, two inches to the right and how they actually saw the court differently. I mean, all the, the watching of the tape game tape after the games and stuff like that. I think it'll give more of appreciation to all of our, our friends and fans out there that like basketball to understand that being a ref is not easy and that's obvious, but anybody can be an armchair ref. But when you're really in, and you talked about it in the, in later in the episode where you're talking about the speed of the game. We don't understand the speed of the game unless you're actually physically watching the game. It's it's definitely – if you have a chance and you get a chance to go to a pro game and you got the cash to buy yourself a good seat, it's amazing what you see that you do not see on TV. You're totally right about that. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. And, I, the, I mean, there's a, a few different directions I can go with this, but – at every higher level that you play at, whether it's high school, like my jump from high school to college was insane. Like I was like, wow, this is so much more fast paced. And then, you know, when you participate in some pro-ams, like I was just another body out there, but when you're out there, you're just like, wow, like this is, this speed is like yeah. nothing you've ever experienced. And then on top of that, you have, like he said, the PA guy, like it's so much more of an entertainment game compared to an organized game. Cause you're not really running a, you know, a Princeton that, offense, things right, like right. that. You know what I mean? You're going up against some of the greatest athletes in the world. They're borderline pros. And there's so much excitement coming from the, from the PA, the crowd, like you said, they're all huddled around. It's a different atmosphere. And the atmosphere almost makes it seem faster than it, than it actually is. But then going back to the officials, uh, listening to him talk about the officials, uh, it, give, it really gives you a – I've always respect officials, but I mean – understanding what they have to go through night in night out. I mean, they're not, they're never going to please everybody. There's always going to be somebody upset with them. Even if they do the best job in the world, no matter what people are upset and they have to battle that night in night out. And I just have a lot of respect for them for dealing with what they go through. And like I mentioned earlier, hot headed coaches like myself, sometimes like, I mean, I, I, I definitely appreciate what they go through. 100%. Oh, absolutely. And the, the biggest thing with them is they don't get any recognition. And, and speaking of that, thank you guys. We charted another country, got some more nice reviews, really appreciate it. Some more subscribers. Um, you guys are helping and that's what's important. So please, you know, keep showing us the love that you are. It's, it's really humbling and we're really enjoying, you know, being able to bring quality guests to you guys and quality stories. I think that's the big thing that we are pushing is we, we get you guys stories that you don't get to normally hear. You guys hear the same stories if you're listening to interviews and a lot of these guests have told us great stories. Um, anything you want to add, Zach, before we get out of here? Yeah, just a big thank you again. And I can't wait to have him back on to hear that Marvin Barnes and Patrick Ewing story. Oh, he, yeah. He's pretty excited about that one. So I can't, I can't wait to hear that. One. So excited. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, stay safe, be good to each other. Not my house, is out of your house. Peace.